It's 5 p.m. You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And we're back with you Monday, the 16th of November here on The Punch-Out from Breakthrough News, 5 p.m. here, Eastern Standard Time, as we always do. We got a lot of great stuff for you. Uh, Well, some not so great, but all very interesting and all very relevant. Very eventful weekend in Latin America. Bolsonaro on the back foot in Brazil and protests shaking Peru. Uh, Another law bites the dust, if you will. Or you could say it's up in smoke. State of Virginia moving to make weed legal. And the first thing before we get to both of those two important stories is how you have already paid for the coronavirus vaccine, most likely. Well, and it's not news to you now, I'm sure, since we're talking about coronavirus vaccines here, that COVID-19 is surging all over the country. Over the last 14 days, there has been an 81% increase in the number of U.S. cases of coronavirus and a 39% increase in deaths. Last 14 days, 81% increase in cases, 39% increase in deaths. As the New York Times notes, quote, hospitals in some areas are overwhelmed, scrambling to find enough beds for the severely ill. Major grocery chains like Kroger and Wegmans have begun reimposing limits on purchases of household supplies like paper, towels, and tissues, end quote. So undoubtedly, this made it all the more welcome when pharmaceutical giant Moderna announced this morning that its vaccine is 94% effective. Effective, topping Pfizer's claim, ooh, Pfizer's claim, from last week, I should say, that their vaccine was 90% effective. And of course, shortly after that, Russia's Sputnik V vaccine, the makers of that announcing that they were at 92% effectiveness. So there you go right there. That's three vaccines, all in the third stage trials. It's the final stage, all seeming to be very effective. And there's some others as well that haven't reported on their effectiveness, but also seem to be doing well. However, Uh, In all three cases and more, the full rollout will take a while because they have to make the things. Moderna, for instance, said that while they may have about 20 million doses available in December, uh, that will mainly go to nursing homes, frontline medical professionals, and it'll probably be spring before any major rollout happens. That seems to be the case with some of the other vaccines as well. So it's you know, looking good, but it's not necessarily around the corner. Now, of course, one of the big issues here is who gets it and for how much. Now, there's all sorts of plans to make sure people don't have to pay, but ultimately someone has to pay. That would most likely be the government. And what some have noted already about deals struck by the U.S. government for some of these doses, they've struck some of these deals ahead of time with some of these big companies, that they often have pretty high market prices. Now, this isn't always a big issue, is the market price of drugs. Big Pharma justifies this by saying that they have to pay to do all the research to make it possible. Well, most times that's not the case, but this time it's definitely not the case, or at least in a major way. Now, a key element of both Pfizer and Moderna's vaccines was developed by public money at the National Institutes of Health. Now, coronavirus gets its name because of the way one element of the virus, the spike proteins, appear under the microscope. Coronavirus, crown, spike, Get it. Uh, A big piece of how these vaccines work is a technology that's designed to quote unquote freeze these spike proteins, basically help them keep their shape, which matters because it helps produce a stronger antibody response. 
This process is called the 2P approach. 2P approach. This 2P approach was developed at NIH years ago, well before the pandemic. So when COVID-19 showed up, it was already in the public domain. Of course, this was done for free by the NIH. Researchers at all these various pharmaceuticals used this method, and clearly it seems to be working. One vaccine scientist told the advocacy group Public Citizen that without the 2P method, quote, it wouldn't be possible to go so fast with the Moderna vaccine otherwise, end quote. So in other words, the ability to turn around a vaccine quickly rests heavily on public, not private industry, which isn't exactly rare, as I mentioned. It routinely happens with many drugs for obvious reasons. The NIH doesn't need to make a profit, just help cure diseases so they can work on any sort of timetable and try all sorts of new and exciting things. So here we are yet again, even more proof that not only does Big Pharma consistently lie about the cost of drugs having relationships to research and development, but that we really don't need a private multi-billion price gouging set of corporations in order to make drugs that can help keep us alive. Marijuana, the burning weed with its roots in hell. Well, as you may have guessed from our opening there, we're talking about the devil's lettuce, marijuana, weed. Here, specifically the state of Virginia, the old Dominion state, it's now going to take the plunge, it seems, with Governor Ralph Northam making a pledge to legalize the substance. And the governor noted how, despite the fact that just about everyone smokes weed at the same rates and it has significant medicinal qualities, that black people are disproportionately arrested for it, including in Virginia, where black people are three and a half times more likely to catch a weed charge. Now, you may remember that Governor Northam was caught in blackface or perhaps in a Ku Klux Klan costume. We actually still don't know which one he was in the photo. In an old yearbook photo from a couple years back. And then to make amends to the black people of the state of Virginia, he said he was going to work on racial justice issues, and one of which, of course, is ending the war on drugs, even ever so slightly. Uh, and I think we're seeing that play out here. Now, the state had already decriminalized possession of marijuana this year, turning it to a $25 civil penalty uh, for a first offense, that is. Uh, lawmakers also banned police from using the smell of marijuana as the basis for a warrantless search. This is always a big basis for stop and frisk all around the country, especially Washington, D.C., by the way, where the same practice was banned a couple years back when it was shown scientifically that this was the case. It was being used in a fake way. It could, however, take two years to get through the legislature here. So, you know, don't hold your breath. Sorry, I was going to try to make a funny joke about holding in weed smoke, but I couldn't think of it. Nevertheless, either way, we'll see how fast it actually moves there. But it does seem that there's bipartisan support in the uh, General Assembly there in the state of Virginia. Significant step for a state that was at the forefront, really, in one of the most major ways of mass incarceration and continues to maintain some of the most brutal prison conditions in the nation, including some of the most rampant, just torturous, disgusting use of solitary confinement. Check out Red Onion State Prison if you want to learn more about that. This, of course, follows a range of ballot initiatives on Election Day that show tens of millions of people are fed up with the status quo as it concerns drug policy. Arizona, South Dakota, New Jersey, and Montana all legalized weed on ballot measures. The D.C. DC District of Columbia did the same thing for magic mushrooms, and Oregon voted to decriminalize small amounts of basically all drugs and use some of the proceeds from marijuana sales to increase the drug treatment programs in that state. The war on drugs destroyed, destroyed entire communities. That destruction is ongoing. It did nothing to stem drug use at all. It was a total failure. And now finally, it seems like that is starting to come through as it concerns policy, not just rhetoric. <laughs> An eventful weekend in both Peru and Brazil this weekend. 
I don't know why I said weekend twice, but it was very eventful. Peru continued to be in turmoil as mass protests roiled the country as corruption charges swept the political class. Uh, at least two protesters were killed in Lima as protesters stayed in the street demanding a new constitution. Uh, they're facing very heavy repression down there. Quite a number of, of videos have, have marked that. So something for people to note, very heavy repression, two protesters killed in Lima. The interim president, Marino, then resigns on Sunday. He was unable to form a government in parliament. Now, parliament had toppled his predecessor last week. Then they tried to come together to vote someone else in. They were unable able to do this. This is the main issue. The street protests are demanding a total rewrite of the Constitution, stating that the endemic corruption, which is engulfing a huge section of parliament, like the majority of people in parliament in Peru are under some sort of investigation here uh, as it concerns corruption. They may not all be guilty, but it's all over the place. It's being used by all sides against the other sides. People on the streets are saying it's deeply rooted in the system itself. We got to start from scratch. We need a new constitution. Now, in parliament, though, people don't want to kick themselves out, so they were trying to see if they could agree on who a new president would would be they were unable to name a successor at one point on Sunday it appeared that uh, you know a major left-wing party may actually have gotten a majority and acceded to the presidency of the leadership of the country that collapsed the situation is still very fluid and ongoing protests continue in Brazil there were elections yesterday for mayors and for city councils all around the country. In the most general sense, it was not a great day for President Bolsonaro. Many of the far-right candidates he backed in major cities especially didn't do terribly well, being totally knocked out of the game in Sao Paulo, for instance, and in a tough position in the second round of Rio's election that will happen in a few more weeks. It was also a fairly good day for the left. Guillermo Bulos was the left-wing leader of the Homeless Workers Movement, MTST, who represents the left-wing party. Pesal is in the second round in Sao Paulo with a real chance to win. In Porto Alegre, uh, many people know that city, of course, because of the World Social Forum. Uh, the same is true there. Manuela Davila, who is a candidate for the Communist Party in the second round, looks like she has a very good chance to win. And those two together, by the way, are two of the most prominent of a new generation of left-wing radical socialist, communist leaders who were heavily associated with the mass campaign to free Lula in the last year. So we see them continuing to ascend here. Uh, Pesal, that's the party of Marielle Franco, who people may remember was brutally murdered by right-wing militias a few years ago. They had a number of good results in councils all across the country. They're in the first place heading into the second round of the mayoral election in Belém, another major city in Brazil. Marielle Franco's widow, Monica Benicio, will be heading to the Rio City Council for Pesal there. So as they say in Brazil, Mariela continues to live in the guise of the struggle itself. But here, very particularly, her widow going into the city council in Rio. Uh, amazing rebuke there to the militia forces. Maria Margiela, the granddaughter of the famed Brazilian revolutionary Carlos Margiela, also heading to a city council, this time in Salvador in the state of Bahia, uh, which is very well worth knowing more about if you want to know more about Brazil. Center of, of a lot, the black community and black culture, and certainly one of the largest slave rebellions in the Western Hemisphere that took place there. So never Nevertheless, pretty good day there for the left and progressive forces in Brazil. Breakthrough News was able to speak to Zoe PC, a journalist with People's Dispatch, about what all this means in a broader context. Across Latin America, we're seeing a major pushback from the masses and progressive forces against authoritarianism and against neoliberalism in Chile and Peru, which are countries that never succeeded in breaking the grip of neoliberal conservative rule, despite massive people's movements. We see that as the contradictions have been exacerbated over the last year, even before COVID-19, with violence, state repression to popular uprisings, and a general deterioration in quality of life, proposals to rethink these bourgeois so-called democracies, uh, such as 
rewriting the constitution have really gained uh, traction. In Bolivia and Brazil, where the progressive forces that were in power faced serious setbacks uh, through different coup processes, there's been a real push from the left to re reorganize and respond with mass mobilization. In Bolivia, of course, we see the resounding victory of MAS after a year of struggle against the coup. And in Brazil yesterday, we saw significant victories for progressive forces in the municipal polls and a notable decline in the strength of Bolsonaro as a political force. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. <laughs>